0: Well, thank you all very much for being here with us. It's so good to see you. And uh, I told Charles and Darlene that my first uh, real exposure to them was in a class a little bit like this, maybe a semester or so ago where Steve had brought them in. And um, it was just, you know, for me as a new person, so exciting to hear about what they do in, in Nairobi and to hear more about MITS. And if you're around Otter Creek for any length of time, of course, that name comes up over and over again. I think folks are very proud that we're involved in such a ministry that we know people like the Coulsons. And uh, there's, so they're just such a great example to us about, about how God works through people, uh, all of us. And um, and so the amazing stories that come from that ministry are encouraging to us. And I know that this morning you'll be encouraged uh, by being here. So thanks again. Uh, we appreciate you all very much. And uh, looking forward to getting to hear more about it. So. The first question is... Before you ask this question, can you do a couple things? Absolutely. Okay,
1: great. We will answer the question.
0: Sure. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, Eunice, the girl who came to us this year, you saw in the bulletin, we have 24 new kids this year. Eunice is one of them. She's 14 years old. She's pregnant. Uh, The guy who raped her made her a stranger in her own land and a person who is desperate and without hope and... Um, and so, a sort of a refugee um, in, in the place where she was. And so, Made the Streets goes, we go out on the streets every day with some of our team members looking for young people, out recruiting people, and uh, one of our team members recruited um, Eunice. Now, we didn't go out there to rescue her. We don't want to just to make life easy for Eunice. Uh, we went out to recruit her, uh, to challenge her, to believe that God has a a way for her, a place for her, to challenge her to hope that uh, she and the baby she will bear this week, by the way, she's gonna have a baby this week, that 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 there will be a way for them and that she'll be able to make that way. And they invited her to come out become a learner, um, become a doer, um, get some education, get a skill, and be able to go back out in the world and serve the Lord and at the same time take care of herself and her baby. Uh, and so uh, we're we're excited about that and uh, about Eunice's possibilities with us, um, and and we're so excited about the baby that'll be born, another member of maiden in the Streets, and uh, we we have a number of those, and and uh, we'll be sad in about five years when she takes her baby and leaves us because we'll be losing them to our home, like you are when your kids grow up and go out. To some of you who are of that age, um, but. Um, we're she's 14 by the way yeah 14.
2: Have, I have two 14 year old granddaughters uh, I have 14-year-olds? oh I don't want
1: them to be pregnant and out on the streets you know um, so this is the reason we're there because um, we want to love them the way we love our own granddaughters and because we know that Christ loves us that way um, one, of the things one that, thing yeah yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, also since I know there's some grandmothers in this <laughs> this group uh, we have, you know, all our kids, all our students who come to us are sponsored by people just all over the states, and so they're sponsored until they leave us, but we're going to have somebody very soon, next this week, next week, and the little baby doesn't have a sponsor. I know that sounds weird, but what, what will happen if you choose to sponsor this brand new little Christmas baby <laughs> is that then that money just goes into a fund that we keep. And then when she graduates, as you know, if you're a single mom, you have extra expenses that our other kids don't have, the moms do. So they get an extra stipend for the baby, for childcare, for eventually like a, a little preschool and starting school, so that it gives the baby a boost, so that she gets, like when she graduates, she gets a stipend for apartment, roommate, and job interview, and all that. But, um, so this is just for the baby. So if you feel touched by the sermon this morning and would like to sponsor a baby that's a refugee, can I just I didn't ask bring out the baby just, just for the baby, that's all.
0: Uh, fascinating concept, this recruiting versus rescuing. Yes. That's yes. really neat. I've never heard it put quite like that. Um, I'd love for you to give us the overview, like what what is Made in the Streets about? If, if I were new and I was coming to visit, what would I see? And just walk us through that because maybe there's some folks here who, who really don't know kind of the big picture.
1: Okay. Well, we, um, we started out with a, a youth group in Nairobi. Our whole purpose going to Nairobi was to develop an evangelistic youth group in a slum uh, called Eastleigh and Mathari Valley. And, um, and, and we did. We had this youth group, and they were evangelistic. They reached out to other young people. They even reached out to street kids, who are a very different population. Uh, even though they were slum kids, they weren't street kids that we were working with. But, uh, but we got to know street kids, and after a while, they were in our hearts. And we decided, well, there's a whole process, and some of you know that process, by which we decided to work full time with them and to, and to carry our teenagers into that as well. And uh, so now, what's worked out after all these years is that we, have, uh, we still have our same place in that same slum that we work out of, uh, that we had our, we've had our building since 1999. And our, we have team members who out on the streets every day. They try to get to know every new street kid that comes out. They're really looking for kids that are 12 or 13 or 14 uh, that we can bring out to our second stage, which is Kamulu, uh, that first stage involves all kinds of things, loving them, first aid, uh, just being with them, doing some Bible studies, talking with them, inviting them to our center for programs and maybe for a meal and for a Bible study and just all all kinds of things that we can do for them. And then when they come out to Kamulu at say 13 years old then, uh, then we've got a school for them. We do our own school. Everything is in-house and so we have, the, uh, we have English and math and computers and Bible and so a little bit of science and a little bit of social studies and some Swahili, and uh, and we prepare them to take the eighth grade exit exam. Now in Kenya, it's like England, you get that eighth grade exit exam and it, it allows you the opportunity to go to high school if you make a high enough score and you've got enough money to pay for high school. But we want them to take the eighth grade exit exam even though they're not gonna go to high school. Um, and so, so we prepare them for that. And when they're 16 though, they go into another phase at Kamulu, and that's skills training. So from 16 to 18, they're learning hairdressing. We just graduated uh, on Friday, several hairdressing students. They're learning catering, and, uh, and they're uh, <coughs> auto mechanics, or woodworking, uh, and, or jewelry making. And so uh, they're, they're getting ready to have a job. And in Nairobi, there's lots of unemployed people. But if you have a skill, you know, if you didn't just go to high school, and learn all that academic stuff, but you don't know how to do anything, then uh, you, it's hard to get a job. But if you have a skill, you can get a job. So our kids, all our hairdressing students already have promises of jobs, which is a neat thing, and they are just now graduated. Um, so, so you go through that, and when you're 18, you're ready to go out. As soon as you get an ID card, then we help you get an apartment, and we help you with job interviews, and we help you introduce <coughs> you maybe to another church somewhere. Uh, we try to get you to, to have a relationship with other graduates and 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 that's into the world. And we have people who not only help them get settled out there, but we have a, a couple who love our kids very much. Uh, Jackton Omondi has been here, so you know him. He and his wife, uh, they're the into the world people. And they have a place downtown Nairobi where they they, they want graduates together and bring their friends and do Bible studies and have worship. and. And um, uh, and they're expanding that this year into other places and and trying to get more and more graduates involved in uh, in that so that they will not only be faithful, you know, have faith when they leave us, but that they will serve, that they will themselves do Bible studies and help other people be disciples to Jesus. And so they will not, we don't want to be social workers. We don't want to just produce people who can hold jobs and make money and and that sort of thing. We want to produce people who really are committed to Jesus and serving Jesus in the world. So those are our three phases. Mm -hmm. Streets, Kamulu, into the world. Okay, back out there. Um, Is that it? Yeah, that's fantastic.
0: (laughs) How long have y'all been there?
1: 21 uh, 21 and a half years now
0: Yeah. at the street ministry. And what was the connection to Nairobi for you? How how did you land there?
1: Oh, that's too long a story for this class. I would just say that friends tricked us into one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because we were on our way to Singapore and Malaysia, okay. and these and they tricked us and pushed us and prodded us until we went on a trip with them to Africa, in which they paid all the expenses and paid for safaris and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't want to go, <laughs> but we went and fell in love with people and and particularly with the young people, and so yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: We've talked about Luke 10, this class, the Good Samaritan, and caring for our neighbor. Well, you've talked about the Good Samaritan? Yeah. Darlene has a story
1: for him. Can you well, tell us about This would be a great lead-in. Go ahead. Yes, That was
0: wonderful. You're <laughs> <laughs> so
2: good. In, so, in Kenya, when we were first there with our teenagers and wanted to teach, then we didn't have any teaching materials. Okay, we're in, part, we're in a slum, right? And so, um, I through a street kid, I got another street kid who could draw. And I said, let's just make... Pictures of the parables like they happen in Kenya, right? Because they didn't happen here, um, but they, and they didn't happen in the US either, by the way. So, and let's make it so when you see the characters, they're not pink. Most of our Bible study stuff is pink, by the way. So they're not pink. They're just like what would happen there. So here's the Good Samaritan, yeah. but we call it the Good Somali, the Good Som, right? Because in Nairobi, which is a big city, we have a lot of Somalis who've taken over uh, rent places and pushed out some of the Kenyans. We don't like them.
1: They spit. <laughs> right. And they do it. I mean, the
2: Kenyans and the Somalis do not get along. The, well, they're all Kenyans, but they do not <clears throat> get along. So it really fits. So <clears throat> here we go. So once upon a time, see, there's this man walking home. Now we can tell he's rich because he's been to get meat. If you can have meat, you are rich. So he's got a little package of meat and a briefcase full of money. Yes, So there he's got a suit on. We're talking, just come and get the money, right? So of course he gets mugged. I've been mugged. Anybody here hasn't been mugged, you know? So he's, he's getting mugged and relieved of his riches. Here's one of the robbers running off with the money. And yes, they do use these when you're mugged. You won't just get mugged. There's often a ponga, yes. Uh, and then they leave the guy in the garbage. We don't have uh, ambulances. We don't have 911. He's just in the garbage, wounded. All right. So this is familiar to the kids. The, the mugging is familiar to the kids because they've been there, done that. OK, here comes along a person. And, and he's well-dressed, <laughs> he goes to church, here's the He's so, so big, and he sees it. But it's like, oh, just think of all the things that go through your head, and especially in Kenya. So, well, if I help that person, then the police might think, I did it. A crowd might grow up, you know, and I might get mugged, I might get beaten. Here comes a guy. Okay, and he's more likely to stop because he just has the look of preacher, you know, someone who's really, you know, like in the sermon, the really righteous people. But he thinks, oh, you know, I lost blood
3: in my new suit. I mean, really, because I'm busy. Because you can't just call
2: 911. All right, it's got to be uh, hands-on. And. Now, when I tell this story, especially when we first did this, we'd go up country and tell people who are like, just the difference between rural and city as it is in here. And, and they would see that anyone who sees this, in a big city or not, they say, excuse me, excuse me, uh, you, you've made a mistake because we know this story. And, and the third person helps. and. <clears throat> This is a Somali. <laughs> Maybe you didn't draw that right? And the reason he's got a trek is because this is what Kenyan, the, the, the darker Kenyans think, okay? They think that the Somalis are taking all this food, see food's a big deal, and they're going up to Dadaab, to the refugee camp, right, see? So he's taking food away from them one of the reasons they don't like them so we're sure you've made a mistake we yeah it,
1: it says that these are good <coughs> samaritan oh yeah and we, we know. know they're not good In
2: swahili people will speak swahili and then they'll talk about a in english good samaritan there's no swahili word for it it's just a good samaritan Amen. and they know what that is it's someone who said you say oh you know i'm hungry i haven't eaten can you just give me something you're a tourist there right downtown nairobi could you just, and a good Samaritan hands you money. You know, white people do it all the time. So this is all wrong, <laughs> and it's and still say, all we wrong. we say
1: thank you for making the point. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus
2: told this story, and he made the same point. It's the one you least suspect, and he goes to him, lines him up, carries him off. Yes, yeah, remember, it's always hands-on. And then, and this is a hard thing to think that a Somali would give money to help a Kenyan, and we don't get along. And the Kenyans, who look like the same tribe, there's one that looks like the same tribe as, as the guy who was wounded, and he didn't stop. And so then, this is a hard page in Kenya. I want you to point to the one that acted like the neighbor. In Kenya, they're like.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so you know these parables that we grow up with, we're so familiar with, but in another culture, they can be really powerful because you can catch them unawares.
3: Yeah.
0: Wow, that's okay. fantastic. <laughs> <some ways? laughs> so, I, I promise, I did. That was not set up. Um, that that's fantastic. Um, we could probably end class right there. Um, <laughs> But we've spent some time talking about the Good Samaritan and Jesus' words on the stranger and welcoming the stranger. And, while that brings it to life. But I'd just love for you all to talk a little bit about how Jesus' concern for the stranger has really shaped your ministry over the years. 21 years. And so I know know it took you probably a number of years to come to some of these realizations, to, to come to recruitment versus rescue, those kind of concepts are things that have happened over the years. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about okay. that, that shaping.
1: Well, just about rescue. We found out that rescue didn't work. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the ones you do the most for are the ones who run away the first, Yeah, you know, and, and appreciate it the least. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting thing that happens in the human psyche, I think. And, and so, uh, um, and we decided we want to produce a product. We don't want to just help people, you know, have it a bit easier than they had it before. We have a product we want to produce, which is a kind of person, a believer, and a and a disciple. And so, uh, and so, and and we believe we we another thing we have come to believe is the very best way we can help these kids on the streets is to introduce them to Jesus. That that is the best, and that's, you know, we've uh, we've gone through lots of kind of things that we tried to do for kids and with kids. And we've decided we need to give them what's most important, and that's a relationship to Jesus. Um, and we can do a lot of other things for them. And for some of them, we do a lot. You know, we get them off the streets and we train and we teach them, and we train them, and we feed them. They've never had three meals a day in their lives, so they've never slept in a bed in their lives, and they get to sleep in a bed. And so life is a lot easier. We have a real bubble out there at, uh, out at Kamulu that they live in. Um, and
2: everybody loves them?
1: Yeah, and people love them and, and take care of them. And, and, and we know, though, they're not going to be loved like that when they get out into the world, you know. Uh, their bosses may not love them the way we do, and co-workers may not love them the way we do, and neighbors may not love them that way. Uh, but we want them prepared to make it and prepare themselves to be the ones who love and out there in the world. Uh, so how how has how has Jesus' word shaped our ministry? Um you know, we, I, think about, um, I think about things like the, all these parables, and, but the stories of Jesus with people like the woman at the well. Here's someone different from him. And, and he points out the differences that, that he has with her. Um, and, and in the end, though, he does not. It's like, uh, like Josh said this morning, uh, for those of you who heard the sermon already. Uh, God didn't force himself on Mary. You know, And Jesus doesn't force himself on the woman at the well. She's left with a choice about what she will do. It turns out she goes into town and she brings the people. And uh, and they end up rejoicing uh, in their knowledge of Jesus. Um, and, and we don't, we just do our best not to force ourselves on people. I think Jesus has, his words have shaped us to that. Our kids are always free. They want to run away tomorrow, they can run away tomorrow. Or even today. Uh, we don't lock them up. We don't... Uh, Hold them anyway, uh, other than of course you won't have the three meals a day and the and the bed if you take off and go somewhere else. Um, but you gotta want it. You gotta wake up every morning wanting to be where we are and with us. And so that that we think is good for the kids. It leaves them independent. They've been independent out on the streets. Their mother and their grandmother have not been able to tell them what to do while they've been out on the streets. And and we don't want to we don't want to start trying to control them either. You know, and I think Jesus guides the way in that. But we do want to provide opportunity. Psalm 113 is our, is our passage. Um, God is great, God is glorious. The psalmist writes that uh, you know, he's so high above the earth that he has to, he has to look down and find the earth uh, and, and the sky, the, all, all the things because God is so great. And, and yet, that God, that very God who is great goes himself to the refugee camp. No, that's not what it says, is it? Goes himself <laughs> to that part of Nashville where, the, uh, no, goes himself to the garbage dump and picks the needy up out of the garbage and seats them among the princes of their people. And, and to, the, to the woman who can't have a baby, she gives, he gives a baby. You know? I mean, that's, Psalm 113 is really our guiding passage. Uh, we want to be where they are, that's the big thing. That's what God did, right? He comes himself to be where we are. Emmanuel, God with us. And so we want to be where they are. We want to love them where they are. And then we want to make a difference in their lives. That's
3: so,
2: great. I yeah. think, too, the, the idea that, <coughs> that it's God that does this. And you've got to believe. You've got to ask yourself, do I really believe that the answer is Jesus? Because if you're face to face with someone who truly has not eaten in several days, and that person is really grungy and they have <coughs> nothing, you've got to believe that you are not the answer. <coughs> and your money and your friend's money is not the answer, but that God is. And even if, if they don't do anything with the Streets with us, It doesn't mean they can't get off the streets and live a different life. Because if they partner with God, that's all they need. But if you don't believe that, then you have trouble saying no when they ask you for money Hmm. or for bread. Um, When you want to recruit them for God, not for bread. But you gotta go through that um, conviction, I think. Mm
0: So in this class, we've talked a little bit about this quote. This is from Matthew Sorens, the um, CEO of, of uh, World Relief, who is a resettling agency. And, um, you know, the, I'll just point your attention to the last sentence there. That there may be a risk or cost involved is not relevant to the mandate of love. So we spent some time thinking about that. Of course, here in the United States, as refugees are being resettled, there's all sorts of... Um, Human fears. There's political and economical and social fears that that we hear about. That are that those records are kind of playing in our mind. Mm-hmm. So we've tried to address some of those and and let Jesus' words, um, you know, dispel those those natural tendencies or those natural thoughts. So I know that you guys face risk and you face costs from day to day. So talk a little bit about what those are and um, and, and how you work through those. Okay. Can I
3: start from are there
2: oh yeah. Dads? So, Charles was in graduate school and so I, I did my little spiel with, with graduate school, but it was all about values. And one thing that that I learned that really affected both of our lives <clears throat> was this idea that you fill out a little chart and you write down all these people that you care about. Okay, refugees, just, you know, da-da-da-da. all these people. Then the next column is, do you actually Talk about it. Do you tell people, yes, yes, I value Muslims? I value, just, okay, on my long list, right? How many people, okay, are these part of my discussions? Then the next one is, do your kids know it, right? Do you talk to your kids about what you value? Okay, but then the next one is really hard. Do your children see you involved with those people? So it's like, Okay, because a lot of it's done while they're in school, right? Or in your talks with your friends, or the money you give. Uh, And so so we thought, okay, like for handicapped. Well, actually, we didn't have anybody in our lives that our daughter saw who was eight years old at the time. So I prayed about it, so just be careful.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Be
3: careful
2: when you pray. So the next week, here comes because I have free time, right? I'm just a mom and I'm going to
3: school. And we, we see
2: this article it says, "Wanted: uh, Someone to read and uh, do some small chores with uh, a blind couple." So you can just say, "Well, wouldn't that be a nice job for somebody else?" <laughs> so with okay, that just sounds too close to a prayer answered. So I did that, and that really changed things. And you know. How about coincidence? They had a child, a boy, who was the same age as Brenda. So it really that that was a good thing. Okay, so then, then it's also well. Do you uh, what else did we have down there? And so we both worked in the jail. Okay, good for us, old gold star. Well, but Brenda didn't see it, right? Because it's while she's in school. So like, okay, so so I worked with women in the county jail. Uh, so when somebody got out and needed a place to stay like, got it okay so there's risk you know having people I mean so we were in a discussion at church at the hills a while back somebody was just so upset about the whole um, gay thing anyway and so I think not until you had a lesbian woman who's on drugs and who just got out of jail live with you can you
3: can you whine, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, see there's a risk that our daughter could have grown
2: up lesbian or on drugs or, or in jail. Unfortunately, she just kinda of went the opposite way. She's FBI. <laughs> 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 okay, so you you can give all these values to your kids? <laughs> but um, what I do I think we just need to talk about it I even went to uh, a nice church where there are, okay it's in a slum but people have money, okay so I told this story no actually I didn't tell it, I was there while one of our students, who's Ethiopian um, who told this a former street kid, and he had this story, and so he was asking them, so what would it be like for you, you know, what, what do you, what's your response to this And one woman who's a teacher, anybody's paid to be a teacher, she said, well, I would never do that, because, true, and it's true in Kenya, the the crowd might think you're part of it, and then they would beat you up. Okay, so that's that's real. Or the police might think, you did it. And so she said, my children would be at risk? I would be at risk? There's no way. So that's somebody who lives in a slum. So that's their response. There is risk. And you just... You just have to try not to, we've always said we, we won't do anything stupid. <laughs> we can't use the word stupid, I know, but <clears throat> we won't do anything. You know, I didn't invite all the women to come stay with us when they got out of jail. You know, it's just ones that, that I had a relationship with. So I think that's, again, don't just invite every refugee in. Someone you have a relationship, and then they have something hard happen in their lives, that's when you reach out because you it's a risk, but it's not. You know, you don't just say, God, I'm gonna invite all these people in Asheville that don't have homes, I'm gonna invite them over. No, that, that's not what he asked. That's a one-on-one thing.
0: Yeah, that's good. Charles, anything to add to that?
1: Okay. Um, oh yeah, I thought of four or five things I want to say, but uh, just one. Uh, there's some risk involved for our for our Kenyan team members. Because street kids are pretty volatile. I mean, they are they are desperate, and they are sometimes they're angry, and uh, and they and they're they want to possess something. All they ha- I, you know they wear their whole closet, and uh, and they don't know where their food's gonna come from when morning comes, and so they're desperate to get it. They fight about things. They fight over food. They fight over space. They fight over things, uh, and so there's some risk. And our team becomes conflict resolution people out on the streets. Uh, and and there's always a risk that people will turn on you, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're doing that. Um, we had a, a neat thing happen uh, a couple of years ago. Our daughter and her husband, who, who does the same kind of thing she does, um, came over and they did a course in negotiation. They're hostage negotiators for one thing, so they did a, they did a course in mediation and negotiation and all for our team. And and our team when they were when they were gone. Uh, Went out to the streets and went to the masters of the bases. There's always someone in charge in our world, right? There's always someone who tells other people what to do. There's always someone who tells the young kids, you go out and get food and bring it back, you know, or whatever. Or get money. Uh, and so they invited these masters of these bases to come over to our center in, in Eastleigh and they did a course with them on how to gain cooperation at the base. <laughs> how to make life better for you and for the people at your base. And it was well-received. It was really a neat thing you know and and there's some you know they developed a relationship to these guys who are in control out on the streets which makes it easier for us to go and do things on the streets if we have their goodwill. And so that was a really neat thing, and, and that lessened the possibility of hostility and violence and, and the risk to our team. So there are things you can do to make the risk less, but it's always about forming relationships. It's about becoming close to people and being where they are. Um, we, in order to do our ministry, and Darlene and I can't do it, but somebody has to be where those kids are. Now is that a lesson for Nashville? Somebody has to be where the refugees are. Can't do it from a distance, can't do it from this building. Can only do it face to face with people. And, and that's where certain risks are. Because are. there are always people who, who are asking you for stuff, asking you for money, pressuring you. If you were a good Christian, you'd right you'd give me. And you have to be able to say no but I love you, <coughs> and they say, well, you don't love me if you don't give me money, but but you have to persevere, and you have to be honest and open with them about what you will do and what you won't do, and, and then you can develop a real relationship that's not based on a giver and a taker, but on friendship.
0: Yeah, so.
2: yeah like when we were first there, we were on the streets.
1: Like yeah, we just, were
0: a lot. Yeah.
2: And I think that's again, what you have to offer is your mm-hmm. friendship, yeah. and we weren't there to offer Money. We were just
1: there to offer Jesus. And ask me for money. I'd say go talk to Francis. You know, <laughs> talk to a Kenyan because he knows you better than I would know you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So that some of those thoughts tie right into my next question is, you know, I'd love for you just to be brutally honest. Uh, we're all friends here. What well, what would be your hope and challenge for the American church? Because as you talk, you know, let's face it, we're we're world away from what you're saying. You know, let's just be honest. So, I would love to hear just a really uh, brutally honest, your hope and challenge for the American church when, it's, when it comes to welcoming the stranger. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, okay, the stranger is with you in Nashville, right? The stranger from the Middle East is here. Um, I, don't, I don't know that God demands that you go and do something for them. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what God demands. But if God does demand it of you, and I guess you'd know that if he did, because it'd be on your heart, on your mind, you'd be thinking about it, you'd be wanting something for them, then then I think you, you have to find a way to go there. Um, we made contact a long time ago back in Redwood City, California with the Service League, which is an organization that that help people in the jail. You know, they would go to jail and teach and do other things. Darling taught sewing. Uh, I taught, of course, in personal relationships, that kind of thing, the jail. And um, and uh, but we were contacted by them and invited to do something in the jail. And so we decided, well, we could do that, especially because we heard the story of the woman who started the organization. She was in a Methodist church, and one day the preacher at the Methodist church, Rick, Methodist, yeah read from Matthew 25 and you know you, you've looked at Matthew 25 right I was hungry mm-hmm. you fed me I was, I was so on and so she decided I'm going to do something I'm going to do what scripture says and so she made a list of all those things that were in Matthew 25 and she started over them hungry I could, I could feed people uh, sick you know in prison now uh, it went on down to something and then she thought oh I said no to something didn't I immediately said no to prison. So she went down to the sheriff's (coughs) department and said, I want to volunteer in the jail, and they said, no way. We're not letting someone in our jail to mess with our inmates and cause trouble here, especially a woman. And so they turned her away. They wouldn't let her go. So she went back and saw the sheriff, got an appointment with him, and finally she convinced them to let her start going in the jail. And, uh, And then they built this big organization for working in the jail kind of thing. A lot of things came into our lives, not just this lesbian drug user, but other people came into our lives uh, as, a, as a result of that. Why am I telling this?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is uh, your challenge so what, to what the church. The
1: challenge, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but, but
2: see, it's an individual, I think, that's what he's saying, too. It's, yeah. He's challenged us and we've responded. And I think all your challenges are different yeah. as to what you'll do or who you'll be with. Um, so just you know keep praying keep reading keep trying to do it Um, and then because it's loving your neighbor as yourself right crazy love that that kind
1: of thing once she decided to do that she prayed and prayed and went and saw people and saw people until she got in and found somebody she could work with in the jail and I think that's what you'll have to do if your heart is for the Syrians in Nashville then you have to talk to people and pray and, and, and let God lead you into a way where you'll find a Syrian that you can love, and and I, it'll just happen that way. God will make it happen. Um, you know when. Um, uh,
2: well, you know, see, like for me, I just prayed about knowing a handicapped person. Well, then, okay, it appeared in the newspaper. I well, mean, you don't have to worry about going out there. You don't have to get a group together and go to some of the the housing where the refugees are and just kind of go door to door, if. Because your answer is what? It's not, not the group. It's not the teaching. It's Jesus. If Jesus wants you in a certain place and you say, I'm ready, you know, Mary says, let the Lord do to me, I'm the handmaiden, then, then it'll happen. And I guess if it doesn't happen, then you're good, right? <laughs> but you're good either way. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: fantastic. Um, yes, yes, go ahead, son
3: the message I get from the Colston's is one they would probably not talk about. Um, I don't think you you can do this out of a, you you were reading a verse and said go do it and go do it uh, and get get what they have gotten. uh, Because they went and did it, they have learned what it is to live a full and abundant life, owning nothing. They have sold everything they have. And they have great joy that you can't look at them, you can't talk to them without seeing they exude joy. And we all want that. We all want that feeling of joy. We all want abundant life. And you don't get it by just following the rule. Well, I didn't give anything to anybody this week, but I will next week. I will go do this. I will go do that. That's that really misses even the point of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Uh, the ladies who were in the ladies' class heard me preach this. <laughs> the question was, "What do I do to inherit eternal life?" And the answer Jesus gives is, "Do this, and you will have real life. You'll know what it means to really live." These people really and they exude a joy that they don't even recognize perhaps in themselves, but it's so obvious. <laughs> you know, when I think, who, whom do I know who expresses real joy all the time? And they come to my mind
1: first. Yeah, you're very kind. Uh, you know, in this in the story of the good Somali, there are people who, they can say yes or no, right? They can say yes or no, and uh, and, and some say no, and some say yes. But the point is that God gave them an opportunity. Jesus in this story gives them an opportunity. Uh, Josh said that about Mary. She could have said no at any step along the way. What she does is say yes at every step along the way. And it really was like that with us. When uh, one of these street kids came to me, I was, I was, by the way, by this time I'd become the principal of a, of a growing and successful computer college in Nairobi. We'd grown from 55 students in 1992 to about 1,200 students in 1995 and it was a crazy growth, and it was a successful school, and the street kid came to my office and said, can we do something bigger for street kids? For a bunch of kids I know, just something bigger. Well anyway, that's a, it's an involved story I don't have time for, but, but uh, it turned out that 200 street kids came to a program we decided to do at the campus of the college. And, uh, and when it was over, and they, and they all went back out, after we went through all the, a bunch of these stories from Jesus, um, they went back out. We debriefed with our teenagers, and one of them said to us, "You know, they're coming back." And we said, "Wait, wait a minute! We've already done our thing." For kids. <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, we invited them to come to church on Sunday." Oh no! What is this church going to say? It might be a slum church, but they were not going to accept street kids. So I said, okay, you guys have got to get ready for Sunday. Got to get ready with, you got to clean them up in the, in the toilets, you know, and, we, and we've got to have first, some first aid, and you've got to feed them a meal, and you've got to get a Bible study ready, together. And the teenagers said, got it. we got it. We got it.
2: Teenagers have no. So 55, <laughs> of them,
1: 55 of them came back, and on that day, Darlene and I could have said no. No. I could have said no earlier to even having the program, but we definitely could have said no at that point. And, and because we said yes we have made the streets today and, and we have you you know, we have you in our lives which is a great joy to us um, but it's a matter of saying yes when Jesus gives you the opportunity and if there is a Syrian in this city or in Nashville whom Jesus wants as his disciple he will lead them to you or to somebody among you and you'll have opportunity to say yes or no he will do that for you and for that Syrian. You know, because that's how he works.
3: I, you keep.
2: Can you help ex, explain to me the difference between the slum and the street kids? You, you keep referencing. The slums are not the street. Kids.
1: <laughs> yes. right. Well, well down true? in Mathari <laughs> Valley, we have a kid who, when the first time we went over there, we went over to do a vacation Bible school and train people so they could start a Sunday school in this slum church. Okay, that was our reason for going. And there was this kid, this 12-year-old kid down in Mathari Valley who wanted to go up there because he heard you could get cookies after the classes. And he wanted to go up there, and, and, but he couldn't come up out of Mathari Valley, the deep slum, as we call it, to Eastley because he thought of Eastley as middle class. Now, you'd call it a slum if you went in there. He called it middle class. He couldn't go up there because he didn't have any shoes. So he got his mom to buy him some green flip-flops so he could come to the VBS and get cookies. After the classes and he's still with us today by the way he's one of our he's the one who's running the into the world project <laughs> now but uh, but he's a little kid then and um, and so so you have the deep slum in Florida, you have Eastley, which is a slum, and then you have kids running around unseen uh, unnoticed except when they cause trouble, who are street kids who are sleeping in the alleyways, sleeping beside a wall somewhere. Uh, Sleeping, yeah. going wherever they can, sleeping in the garbage, going wherever they can to scrounge food and scrounge stuff that they sell and stuff like that. So being in the slum, you've got a house to live in. Maybe you have a bed to sleep in or maybe you're sleeping on the floor, but at least you have a house. <laughs> but if you're a street kid, you don't have anything.
3: So my understanding is that trying to relate it to something. There's always the haves and the haves-nots. Right. It's, it's all just, relative. It's relative. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the slums are the haves and yes. the street yes. kids are the have-nots. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
4: That's right.
0: That's right other questions
4: One of the things that I get challenged on a lot just internally is we are I can get really comfortable taking care of our own yes. and so as you are when I hear when I hear recruit, not rescue, there's a sense of like there's people out there who need rescuing. And so, how do you kind of find that balance of making sure that you're not just taking care of your own, <laughs> no. own, even when they're the recruiting? Like they need you, but how do you how do you find that balance of making sure that you're not? I'm not even sure how to f- phrase it, but it's just like it feels like there's a condition to what you're pro- what you're willing to provide, and. And I struggle with that sometimes when I feel like God's just calling us to be compassionate and exuberant in our compassion. So how do you find that balance? Okay.
1: Yeah, well, it's hard. It's not not easy. You know, I go to South Lake, Texas, with my grandkids who are the same age as the kids that we have out at Camulo. Disconnect. And uh, you know, they have everything. You know, they've got their phones and they're on them all the time. And well, not all the time, but they have parents that control them but uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it's a, you know it's a real disconnect because I'm and, and I do a, I, I actually spend a lot more money on my grandkids than I do on any of the kids in Kenya and that's just the reality as part of my life but what we try to do out on the streets is serve all those people who are out there do what we can for all of them uh, if there's a little kid out there who wants to be somewhere and not just on the street. And, and we can't bring him out to because he's nine years old and not twelve then we try to find some other place for him. So we network with people. And then uh, if, if he's uh, if he's sixteen he can't come out to because he's too old but he's willing or she's willing then we may <coughs> send him to school somewhere to a tra- technical school. There's a couple of technical schools right there in the slum and we can send them there to, to school. Maybe even put them in an apartment for a while uh, while they do that. So we try to do that for, for those kind of kids. And, uh, and if any kid, any kid will come to our programs at the center, they get the meal. They get that same meal. And they get that Bible study. But we're looking for people who say, I want my life to be different. I'm willing to study. I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to, to, to be with you and our 13. Then we want to bring them out to live with us. And so we, it is a, there is a disconnect. And we're not showing as much compassion for everybody as we are those 13-year-olds that we bring to live with us. Uh, but but there's sixty thousand street kids in Nairobi, and there's thirty six of us, you know, and we have hundred beds out there, and so we're limited in, in and so we decided not to rescue, you know, we decided to recruit, but we but we want to help wherever we can out there on the streets.
2: Again, you know, when Jesus talks to the the rich young ruler, the, he said, "What can I do?" He doesn't just say sell everything you have. What else does he say? Follow, Follow. Follow me. And I think that's, that's the thing, is that Jesus wants people to come to him. Because you know what, uh, whether or not you have food, I mean, we still struggle with, so you've got food, well so what? I mean, does that make everyone happy who's got food? No. It's, so it's really, we're trying to recruit for Jesus. Because that's the eternal thing. Uh, if we feed all those people, if we spend, because here, okay, so you give us a certain amount of money, right? We get donor money, but if we spend all that just giving bread, then then we haven't helped them for eternity at all. It's just it's so temporary. I mean,
0: yeah,
2: we, a cookie goes. I mean, a package of cookie goes real fast.
4: <laughs> we are temporary.
1: Yeah. Right. But Jesus is forever. Yeah. And you know that's you're gonna ask us about what you can pray for. Yeah, how can, can pray? we pray? How can yeah, we encourage you guys? I wanna to get to that question yeah. before we run out of time. Please tell us. Uh yeah, please pray for us. Eunice is gonna have a baby this week. Please pray for her. Uh, and that baby that they'll have a great life. Um was, now notice you said pray for. Her. You didn't say pay for it. You know and we gotta get back to that part. I want to introduce you to Brad and Shannon Voss, right there. Right by David Wilson, Brad Voss, and that's Shannon. Uh, they live down in Texas, in the Dallas area, and uh, Shannon's an art teacher and interested in art therapy at a, at a school. Brad is the new executive director of Made in the Streets. I want you as to meet of, him. As, as no. of January. <laughs> and he, his, his work is not just to ask you to pray, but ask you to pay. Okay, that's, And so I hope you get to know him
3: better. And, uh, <laughs> <Come on>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: because he says there are a thousand ways that you can get people to give and he's going to be working on you to <laughs> get you to give more and more and more um, and, but not and just
2: for bread see
1: not for bread we're but for life for Jesus. Yeah. Um, and and we're so grateful to Otter creek for sponsorship of this ministry yeah. that you don't just sponsor the colston's but you sponsor Francis and Joel and Jackton and Millie and Irene, and uh, and so and, and I, I haven't had time to tell you about what the most exciting things that made in the streets are. We have started changing some things. We've decided to go from being good to being great, and we we want to do that. We want to become a great ministry, and uh, and so we've been through this in-house workshop with this business thing about the hedgehog. Look up the hedgehog in, on Google and find out what I, what I mean by having your hedgehog. We've got our hedgehog. Really firmly in mind now, and we've decided to stop doing everything we're doing that isn't transforming the lives of street kids. We're going to focus in the future far better than we've done in the past.
2: We're going to make you proud,
1: and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're we're so excited about our team. And pray for Irene. She is now our assistant administrator. But she's going to take the pressure off Francis, who has everybody knocking at his door all day long. I need money for the car. You know, I need money for something. Right? I need this. And so she's going to she's going to take care of a lot of that administrative stuff and leave Francis free to plan and pray and develop relationships to the team and, uh, and keep our team united all the things that he needs to do. So thank you very much for letting us come and class today. Yeah. We appreciate These are up here. Oh, yeah. oh brochures, if you've never yeah. seen one. Uh, we want to get rid of those because now it has to change. We have the Brad's picture on there.